Season 2 of MuniCast is brought to you by Sastel's innovation and collaboration team. Sastel can help you sort through the noise to create solutions that add value quickly. Whether it's reducing your environmental footprint, driving investment, community development, or just saving money, contact your Sastel account manager to find out more. Live from the Sumo office, this is MuniCast, the municipal podcast that tackles municipal leadership and how you can bring connectivity across to residents in your community. On today's episode, we are very excited to be sitting down with Account Executive Paul Kelly and Greg Jacobs, External Communications Manager from SASTEL, to discuss rural broadband. So thank you, gentlemen, for sitting down on Season 2 of MuniCast. We're really excited to have you here, and I think we'll jump right into it. Many communities across Saskatchewan are concerned with connecting their communities to the internet. This connection often comes with a variety of terminology that community leaders can find hard to navigate. So let's start off our conversation today by establishing a baseline for our listeners. What do terms like broadband, 5010, or bandwidth mean, and how do they work? Certainly. So yes, uh, I think you kind of need to have a, a level playing field when we're going to explain these things. So broadband, as we would define it, is uh, commonly referred to as a high-speed internet connection that is always on. Uh, Broadband can be delivered through a number of different technologies. SaskTel, we typically uh, deliver broadband via fiber optic cable, DSL, or copper cable, uh, and our fixed wireless solution, so cell towers. Now, how it works, essentially, is there is a giant network throughout the province that uh, SASTEL owns and operates that moves data from various points to a community. From the community, we have what we call our last mile network or last mile connection. And that's when we're talking about fiber optic, DSL, or fixed wireless. That last mile connection is actually what connects your home. So when you think of, I have X service from SASTEL, Uh, I have fiber, I have uh, copper, that's that last mile connection. That's what's actually connecting your home. For a lot of folks, you know, and and this is Paul, and I work on the sales side and I deal with a variety of different kinds of people. Oftentimes it gets abstracted uh, or expressed in an abstract way as cloud, right? So the fiber optic cable or the copper cable or the wireless connection that you uh, have at your disposal plugs into an abstract cloud and that uh, provides connectivity to the person next door or the person across the globe and it's all broadband. The term 5010 refers to the CRTC benchmark. So uh, a number of years ago... CRTC is the federal regulator. The federal regulator, the uh, federal body that we are accountable to for um, our broadband licensing as a high-speed internet service provider. Um, They made a decision a number of years ago that they want to see every Canadian in the country have access to broadband speeds that offer 50 megabits per second down and 10 megabits per second up and to be and to offer unlimited data. They want every Canadian to have access to that by 2030. So generally speaking, we just sort of boil that down to the 5010 benchmark is what we refer that to. Now, this is related to bro- to bandwidth because in terms of broadband, broadband generally we would refer to as the technology that's connecting your home. Your broadband network is 
fiber, copper, fixed wireless, satellite, what have you. Bandwidth is the amount of data you're getting in there. Uh, it's essentially the size of the pipe that's connecting your home. And what will impact your bandwidth is the technologies that you're connected to, but also the package that you've chosen. So if you are a fiber customer, you have SaskTel Infinite service, but you've selected our lowest infinite package, the bandwidth you're going to get at home is going to be lower than the bandwidth you're going to get if you selected the fastest package. But that's just part of you know, consumer choice. So really, if you were to boil it down, you could uh, compare bandwidth to from going from a garden hose to a fire hose. It's really just how much capacity you have to connect to, you know, uh, online gaming, smart TVs, all that fun stuff. Well, I'm glad you brought up connectivity. We know that connectivity looks different across the province and especially in the north. The community leaders often discuss how geography presents unique challenges in the north. So what are some of these challenges that are presented in the north and how can northern leaders work to overcome them? From a transparency point of view or a blinding insight, you know, there's a couple of truisms in relation to this. One is that uh, people anywhere, everywhere in Saskatchewan could always use more more bandwidth, more broadband, uh, and it'll never be cheap enough. So, you know, it's not a question of uh, have we done enough? It's what more can be done in order to increase broadband capacity. So when we talk about delivering broadband to Saskatchewan, um, there are a number of challenges in the south and the north. Generally speaking, Saskatchewan is a very large landmass with very few people living in it. That's important because all broadband technologies, all high-speed internet technologies in some way, shape or form are distance sensitive. So if you're talking about a cell tower, it only has so much of a range. So if you're too far away from the cell tower, you're not gonna get a, a decent broadband connection or a fixed wireless connection. If you're on our copper network, there's only so much distance that we can deliver 50, 10 speeds or better speeds away from our central distribution office. And then fiber, fiber doesn't have the same limitations as copper, but when you start having to plow thousands of kilometers of fiber, that gets extremely expensive. So that's the primary challenge in Saskatchewan is that of the, the, the landmass of the province. So that's one challenge in northern Saskatchewan is that an extremely low population count with an extremely large landmass. The other side of northern Saskatchewan or the other challenges that we face in northern Saskatchewan that are really just sort of a degree more difficult than they are in southern Saskatchewan is uh, weather. You know, it's not a heck of a lot of fun to be laying fiber in the middle of a Saskatchewan winter. And in many cases, you can't because the ground is frozen. So our construction season is limited. And then uh, northern Saskatchewan also has significantly more wildlife quite a bit of lakes to tra traverse some uh, environmentally sensitive areas that we have to be very careful with because we have to ensure that we are not damaging the environments to deliver these services. Uh, and then the other item is the forestation, the dense forestation in parts of northern Saskatchewan. For a fixed wireless broadband solution to work, you have to have what's called line of sight. So the tower has to see you and you have to be able to see the tower. Well, if you have a ton of trees between you and that tower, 
that's going to degrade your signal. So we do have this in southern Saskatchewan in some degree. It's just the, the challenges in northern Saskatchewan are just simply amplified because we have so much more space. We have so much more forestation. We have so much more weather challenges, wildlife, things like that. Now, I don't want this to sound as sort of a doom and gloom. There's nothing we can do for northern Saskatchewan. We've actually made quite a bit of progress in improving broadband in northern Saskatchewan recently. Today, uh, as we record this, we're delivering 5010 broadband speeds to uh, at least a dozen communities in northern Saskatchewan. Also, by the time this podcast is aired, we'll have announced plans to bring fiber optic broadband service to four northern Saskatchewan communities. So we are working on this. It's just, it's a more challenging portfolio than what we would see in Southern Saskatchewan. Something we've talked about in the past with Sestel is communities' bandwidth needs. It seems like bandwidth is right up there on the list of things communities could always use more of, along with money and time. What is the current state of broadband and bandwidth within Saskatchewan? And how can communities work with Sestel to build more bandwidth? Well, I can start off by talking about where we're at today. It's important to to understand that although Sastel is the largest broadband provider in the province, we're not the only one. There are a number of other companies from Saskatchewan and from outside of Saskatchewan that offer that service. But from Sastel's perspective, today, Sastel alone can deliver 5010 service or better to 85% of the population of the province. So this isn't taking into consideration the contributions from our competitors. So at least 85% of the population of the province can get 5010 or better from SaskTel. Now, some would argue that 5010 is a little outdated and uh, that that benchmark needs to move. The federal government hasn't talked about that yet, but when we're talking about, to, to Paul's point from earlier, everyone is gonna want bandwidth. Everyone needs more bandwidth. Everyone needs faster speeds. So as part of that, we're investing quite heavily in upgrading our network, our copper network to deliver speeds that are a gigabit per second or faster. And so through our rural fiber initiative, we're investing $100 million to bring fiber to 45 rural communities by the end of 2023. Once that program's done, in addition to some of the other fiber programs we've done, about 75% of the population of the province will have access to broadband speeds that meet or exceed a gigabit per second. Across the province, Sestel is engaged with many different municipal organizations who seek to innovate. Contact us to learn more about some of these initiatives and how we can help your municipality today. And now, back to the show. It's certainly going to be exciting to our rural members to hear that there are plans for connectivity coming up in the future. I know mayors and councils are elected first and foremost to lead their community into the future. And to do this, the community leaders have really unique needs and uses for broadband in different ways than your average internet user. So I want to just follow up on this. How can a community leader use broadband to lead their community? And what are some of the unique ways you're seeing them use it across the province? That's a great uh, question, Sean. And I think it's it's, it's an interesting point in time because, you know, in terms of innovative uses of broadband, uh, the municipal sector is really uh, doing some interesting things and leading the way. And I'll get into some examples in a minute. You know, broadband is another piece of infrastructure. 
and it's you know it's great to have shiny hospitals and and uh, and roads, but the value comes in terms of how that infrastructure gets used, and broadband is is no different than that. Communities have unique needs in, on some level, but at a, uh, another level, you know, every municipality wants to become more resilient. They want to be able to grow. They want to transform and lead. And one of the common themes that we're seeing is that, you know, municipalities like other organizations want to be learning organizations. You know, the whole idea of data is a theme that's coming out in just about every conversation that we have, certainly in the municipal sector, but in other industries as well. Everybody has legacy data that they've accumulated about whatever sort of business or sphere of operations that they're in. And, uh, you know, they're going to, they're poised to, to uh, accumulate even more data as we carry around uh, smartphones in our pocket, as we use connected devices. Uh, now we can start to aggregate all kinds of data uh, that start to provide insights into what municipalities can do uh, and, and thrive in their communities. Um, and so data is a common theme. It's if there's a sort of a key message, Sean, that I'd want to get out to your members and to others in the municipal space is that, you know, start to think about the data that you have uh, and that you might want to accumulate in order to make good, sound decisions about how to move your community forward. A lot of municipalities run into barriers. Data management and data analytics and those kinds of topics, a lot of municipalities don't necessarily have the tools to accumulate and manage that data. They don't necessarily have the skill sets or the cycles to do uh, data analysis and management. As I'm sure you can appreciate, many people in uh, medium and smaller sized municipalities and organizations in general wear lots of different hats. They have to do multiple functions. And data analytics and management is a pretty, uh, it's a pretty unique skill that's not broadly based in the workforce at this time. And so that creates uh, you know, some perception of complexity and anxiety about, you know, where to start. If that's a question that I get asked more frequently than any other, it's like, where do I start? How do I uh, dig into this? Because I know I need to do more with data. And so leadership in this context is getting your municipality into a new mindset about data is an asset. And now you have to think about how you're going to leverage that asset what skills and capabilities you have to, to leverage that asset within the municipality and where you need some help and, and partnership in order to, to do that. So, you know, by way of example, you know, when we've talked in the, in the SUMA space before about our work with the, you know, the city of Melfort and their experience with water infrastructure. Before they knew they were, before we started to get involved with them and talk about data and analytics, they knew they were losing some water, but they had, you know, siloed data sets that did not generate any insights as far as decision-making on, you know, what to fix, what to evolve and proactively uh, work on, what to replace and why. And so they were, you know, kind of wandering in the dark using uh, instincts and gut feel about decision-making. Now, with uh, based on the work that uh, we've done and with partners, uh, they have a dashboard that council and administration can look at. There's um, uh, live data that can provide support for budget planning, for maintenance. And in the end, that starts to translate into data that supports grant applications. We uh, 
have done work with them about uh, water infrastructure. And, you know, they've suggested that, you know, they still have to get backhoes and dig out and repair, and that's still expensive. But uh, now they can put together a, a really good story of here are the areas where we need to fix because we've helped them visualize where the most uh, problematic areas are. And they're using data and able to uh, use that data in order to uh, talk to grant giving agencies, granting agencies about, um, you know, what should be repaired and how to do that. And so, you know, I come back to this idea that uh, municipal leaders need to embrace the idea that uh, data is a strategic asset and they need to get uh, more of their organization focused on how to leverage that data, Sean. Well, I'm glad you brought up Malfort. Malfort was certainly a really exciting example that many of our community members took a lot out of when they saw the video at convention. And we have many stories to tell, Sean. We've got an active engagements going on uh, in every corner of the province. They vary completely. We talked a few minutes ago about how the needs uh, of each community are a little bit unique. And I think that's reflected in the breadth and, and variety in terms of engagements. In some cases, we're working with uh, municipalities around um, virtual city halls and engagement with uh, the community and with stakeholders. In others, it's focused on core infrastructure, whether it's uh, water distribution or water filtration or, you know, water's a key asset these days. And um, in, in other instances, it's just more on other kinds of data, perhaps fleet and asset tracking, uh, those kinds of things. And again, it's in areas where uh, they have legacy data, they want to accumulate new data, and we uh, uh, help them, you know, analyze uh, and get a handle on the data they have so that they can start making uh, evidence-based decisions. I want to thank you both for the discussion we had today on broadband. And I just want to welcome any final thoughts from either of you on anything else community leaders can do to promote broadband expansion in Saskatchewan. We, we understand, and, and I'm sure everyone who's going to be listening to this podcast, every leader in a community understands how critical broadband infrastructure has become. Um, connectivity is just as important now as your water infrastructure is, as the roads leading to your community. It's what connects us to the rest of the world. So one of the questions that I get asked a lot is what's SaskTel doing to improve connectivity across the province? And there, there are a number of things that we're doing. So touched on this a little bit already, specifically speaking more to our smaller communities or rural municipalities, we're investing $100 million to expand our fiber optic network to 45 smaller communities. Um, we're continuing to look at other opportunities as well to expand that network to even more communities. We recently announced a, a partnership program where essentially we are actively looking for partners, other internet service providers to work with us to bring internet services, to bring broadband to areas that we can't reach alone as well. So that's another way that we're trying to do that. And we're trying to look at this problem a little bit differently than just, you know, it's SaskTel we're gonna do it our way. We wanna work with others as well to bridge the digital divide where it still exists in the province. Uh, and then, you know, this is a, a tried, tested and true program that we've had in place for quite a while, but our community participation program. I've had probably half a dozen conversations with community leaders, economic development uh, officers this past year um, who understand how critical broadband is to, you know, the future of their community. And um, 
uh, unfortunately, the size of the community just means that it's not economically viable for us to upgrade to fiber right away. So they're having conversations with us on how they might be able to invest with us to make that investment work for both and then future-proof their community uh, and helping them to succeed today, tomorrow, and well into the future. Now, the other point that, and this might be more so for Paul to make than, than anything, and I'll let you decide, Paul, if we want to make this point. Community leaders are also interested in broadband to enhance the competitiveness of their community. COVID has shown worldwide organizations, national organizations, provincial organizations, that you don't need to be in the office to be productive. You can work from home. Now, if you have the, the infrastructure in place in that community, it makes your community a little more attractive for telework. Now, um, obviously there's communities that we're bringing fiber to, but that might be uh, a reason for a community to reach out to SASTEL as well, to talk about our community participation program or to talk about some of the other investments we're making. Well, I think, you know, I tend to spend my time uh, with in municipal and in education and the pandemic has certainly exposed uh, the need and the opportunity to utilize brand, uh, broadband to deliver, um, uh, you know, uh, distance education, uh, especially in the pandemic, as well as uh, to enable organizations to be flexible, including municipalities themselves. And so, you know, your remarks ring true about uh, uh, how communities want to leverage that. The, the thing that I'd like to conclude on, Sean, you know, I mentioned earlier that one of the most often ask questions that I get is where to, where to start. And it's, it's a simple answer is call me. You know, we've got such a width of and breadth of uh, engagements going on. You know, it typically is a conversation that starts with the municipal organization about, you know, what are the top two or three problems that are keeping you up at night or that you're thinking the hardest about. And inevitably it leads to a conversation that goes something like, hey, that sounds like another problem that uh, so-and-so over at Organization X was working on. You know, maybe we can plug you guys together or uh, apply some of the learnings from that particular engagement. So it's a phone call. And, um, you know, Sean, you know, and others will know that uh, after 10 minutes of talking to me, uh, that I don't know much, but I typically know somebody that does. And so that's my role within SASTEL is to try to plug smart people into uh, smart customers and then uh, some good things happen. I know our members really value you, Paul, as a connector. And uh, like you said, if you're not the person with the answers, you're often the person that knows who does have the answers. So I really appreciated the conversation today with both of you. Uh, thank you for sitting down with us on our season two of Municast. And we look forward to continuing this collaborative relationship uh, for years to come. Thanks for having us, Sean. Uh, we've got a long relationship with SUMA and its members, and uh, we appreciate uh, that relationship and, and look forward to continuing to work with you and, and your members. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of MutiCast. We sure hope you've enjoyed Season 2 so far as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you. Coming up later in this season, we've got two great episodes coming, including an interview with former Saskatchewan Premier Lauren Calvert. But coming up next, we've got a very exciting interview on the topic of reconciliation with University of Winnipeg academic Negan Sinclair. Here's a sneak preview, and we hope you enjoy. 
is the one-stop gap, the one representative of that community that can get things done. And that means that that chief's demanded upon more than, frankly, almost any mayor or any councillor or any other representative, any other government representative. So understanding the challenges that First Nations governments are facing so that when you expect them to come to the table, they may not always be ready. They may not always be capable of, especially if they're in an emergency situation, they've got to go and deal with all this over here. And they can't come to a meeting, you know, with 24 hours notice. They need more time than that.